morning. I did not have to stop talking so soon. Oh, man. Well, um, it's a blessing to be here. Um, a lot of my life has been uh, leading up to something like this, not necessarily this message, but um, uh, through FCA, I've gotten a lot of training. I've got a lot of mentorship with uh, a guy who's actually here, a couple guys who are here this morning, but um, just excited to be here. Um, glad that, you know, <laughs> my family's here, and so that's, that's a blessing. Um, that was my little brother. He gets loud. Uh, oh, man. It's amazing what God could do. Um, I get emotional sometimes thinking about the things that God's brought me through and the places that he's bringing me to. And it's not just a unique thing in my life. That's something for all of us. Um, and I was learned today in this message, um, there's a lot of things that goes on in our lives and a lot of things that can hold us back from the things that God's called us to, but um, God is faithful and he's here and he's present and he's finished that work. Um, so I'm going to be much more lively than this. So my apologies on the, first, on the front end. <laughs> but glad to be here. Oh, man, you just you couldn't imagine what this means to me. Not that I'm speaking. I don't care to be up in front of stages. But just seeing what, what God has done in my life and what he's brought me to. Um, it's just amazing. So um, sorry for that part. As you know, Pastor Bill's gone. I think Pastor Jeff got that wrong. I believe Pastor Bill's actually at the Super Bowl. Um, so I think, I think he's in Phoenix. His kids are here. We can hear the story from them. Um, but yeah, and I'm, I'm obviously not as good looking as Pastor Bill, so I'll, I'll try and keep you guys distracted from all that by giving you this good word. But um, pleasure to be here. Um, and if you open up to Romans 8, that's where we'll be studying from, Romans 8 through 11. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll get into it. So Father, thank you for this time. Um, Thank you for all that you've done, all that you've brought us through. Um, it's amazing to see your faithfulness. And sometimes it's so hard to really imagine um, what it looks like to put faith in you and to live a life um, following your spirit. But God, when it happens, we know it. And I pray, I thank you that that's not a unique thing, that it's not just for me or the pastors who, who speak or the people who seem gifted, but God, that that's for each and every one of us, that if we're in your spirit, if we believe in your son, God, that you have amazing plans for us. And so we pray this morning that you would, that you would bless this message, Father, that you would increase and I would decrease. And, Father, that um, your word would go out and that it would be an encouragement, that it would build up this body, Father. Um, but I give you glory, honor, and praise, and I thank you for this time that I get to spend with family. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> oh, man. So um, usually Pastor Bill is going through Mark. I'm not going through Mark. I'm going through Romans. But I think God's been doing an amazing work um, through this ministry and through Mark. And I've, it's been amazing seeing what's come from that. And so recently we've seen um, there's, the, there's been these parables and these stories that's outlining faith and what a faithful field life looks like. Um, and that's been an encouragement to me. And that was kind of, um, kind of the driving force of this message. It made me think of, there was a point in my life where I felt like I was on that third level. Remember, he talks about um, the seed that sprouted up, 
but then it was crowded by the cares of this life and it wasn't producing the fruit that it should have. And for a long time, I felt like I was stuck in that part of my life because I didn't fully understand God's word. I didn't fully understand the power and the promises that God had for me. Um, and so there was, there was this transition and that's, that's the part where I got all emotional because the first time I first realized I had these gifts and thinking about these spiritual gifts was, um, I was speaking at an FCA at my school um, and I was giving my testimony. And then afterwards, ever since then, everybody was like, oh, Pastor Donjay, just jokingly calling me Pastor Donjay and it was fun. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I ever do that, but secretly loving it. Like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. But man, that's, um, that's, that's why it's so amazing to be up here because seeing what God's brought me through from being that scared little boy who didn't really understand God's word, God's love, God's promises, to then come into Stanford, a place where out of all you would expect me to maybe even lose my faith. God harnesses that. He shows his spirit to me. He empowers me and he helps me through this time. Um, and I remember there's, there's a very distinct point where um, my spiritual life went to a next level. And I promise you this isn't one of those like, I'm going to take your spiritual life to a next level kind of thing. That's not, that's not what this is. But um, just as a testimony of what God's done to me, this, is, this has been the most powerful verses in my life. Um, and I remember when I had messed up big time and when I was in my biggest sin and when I felt like I just could not continue anymore. I remember calling some people in my life and talking to some, some mentors, talking to my dad, talking to my brother. There's a lot of people who I reached out to because I was so broken over my sin and over the things that I'd done. And it was these verses that kind of that brought me back. And so I want to give you the, the, the pre. That was before the intro. Now we're at the intro. So yeah, if we get out here before 1230, we'll be lucky. Um, I am kidding. I want to watch the game, too. I got y'all. Um, but no, so, so to first get the context of what we're about to start reading in Romans 8, I want to give you a little background on what was before, and that was Romans 7. And throughout it, Paul, there's these two conflicting ideas. There's this, there's the law and its relation to sin. And so when we see the law, Paul's looking at it, and when we think about the law, we think of something that we fall short of. But Paul, knowing, knowing what Jesus came here to do, knowing the ministry of the Spirit, he then kind of put these two ideas together that, yes, there is this law. And we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And there's this law, and it's saying, hey, this law, it shows us what sin is. So it's bad in that sense. It's like, dang, like now I know, now I'm fully aware that I'm a sinner because there's something that tells me exactly what I should be doing and I ain't doing it. Or it shows me something I shouldn't do and I'm doing it. And so it's like, oh shoot, all right, the law. That makes me feel bad about myself because it's like I'm looking at it and I'm like, I'm, I don't live up to that. But then he's like, the law is good in and of itself though. Like that's God's word. That's what God expects from us. That's what God wants for us to do. And so the law isn't bad in and of itself, but it, it sure leaves a bad taste in our mouth. But then Paul kind of, he explains like, hey, 
The sin is the bad part, not the law. Our flesh, even though we know the law, even though we may want to follow the law, our flesh is weak. And we're sold under sin. That's the point that he makes. He says we're sold under sin. And so Paul recognizes this tension between our will, what we desire to do, the things that we want to do, and our actions, the things that we actually do. And then he, he, he finally ends with this in verses 24 and 25 of Romans 7. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And now we get into Romans 8. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For the law of the Spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And so this is, this is what God's telling to you and to me right now at this moment. Sometimes we as believers, we have this shame and this guilt. We'll sit there and we, we get done with some activity that we know we shouldn't have done, whether it's lying to somebody, whether it's withholding something that we should give to somebody, whether we're having a reckless mouth, whether we're wasting time and just being idle with our time, or if we're gossiping. Lord knows I love a good gossip. It's like all those things, I know they're wrong, I do them, and in my head I'm like, dang, that was not a good look. I know one man in this room could really testify to what I'm about to say. Because sometimes at the gym when I'm hooping, when I'm playing basketball, oh, it gets rowdy. And I'll sit there and some words may come out and then I'll go, ooh, that probably wasn't the best witness. And I'll sit there and sometimes I could condemn myself. Man, Donjay, why'd you do that? Why'd you say that? And that's where that shame and guilt comes in because then that's what causes you to hide your face from God. We can remember back to the garden, Adam and Eve, they ate from the tree. Those goofy guys. <laughs> I would never. <laughs> but they eat from the tree. And then they like, ooh, uh, we're naked. Let's, you know, let's, let's, let's get some of this itchy um, leaves together. Let's put them on our body so we, we covered up because I don't want to, like, I feel exposed. I'm exposed. And that's, that's what sin does. It breaks this relationship with God that we have. And that shame and guilt keeps you from seeking God's face. And that's exactly what the enemy wants you to see. That's exactly where the enemy wants you to stay. And so Paul, through the Spirit, encourages us. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That we don't have to dwell on that shame and that guilt and those things that we've done. We no longer have to look to those things because we have this understanding that I am free. There is no condemnation. There is no charge that the enemy can bring against me where God condemns me. But that's not just, that's not just true just because God did it. That's true because what? We're in Christ. For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So for all the believers out there who are having a hard time, who are doing things that they know they shouldn't be doing, who are maybe not doing things that they know that they should be doing, let me put your heart at ease through the Spirit and say, there is no condemnation. If your trust is in Jesus, there is no fault in you. Oh, 
I'm sorry. Yeah, we probably should have been on the next slide by now. So the next slide. Okay, sorry. I'm I'm gonna be better about that. I'm gonna be better about that. Yeah, you could you could go back just the first slide. This is my first time doing the slides, and so I didn't print out something to give give my guys. So this is this is totally on me. But there ain't no condemnation, amen. <laughs> oh man. If you trust in Jesus, there's no condemnation. And notice that this is because of the law of the Spirit. It says, for, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free. So the reason we're able to have this non-guilty verdict is because of this law of the Spirit. Now, we'll get into that a little bit later. But this law of the Spirit, as we can see in verse 2, is directly opposed. And it even defeats the law of sin. And see, we can understand what this law of sin is. So now we go to the next slide. The law of sin is found in Romans 7, verse 13. It says, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. Now we're by nature children of wrath. This is, these are the words that Paul, Paul talks about that. I didn't need no help in being sinful. I needed no help. Nobody needed to tell me how to be sinful because I knew how to do it real good. Ask my parents. I was tearing up that house all over the place. I needed no help because why? That's, that's our nature. That's what we're born into. But as we can see, God had a problem. God solved that problem. And that was, no, that was no trouble for our great God. In Psalms 103, 12, 103, verse 12, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgression from us. Guys, that's, that's why we need to be born again. That's why we need to put our faith in Christ. Because without that, our sins are connected with us. Because that's our nature. We are glued to that by nature. But then the amazing thing that happens when we put our faith in Jesus is that they're separated. Amen. Thank you, brother. So what does this mean? What is this, this verdict of non-guilty? What does this mean for us? Well, this should lead to our confidence in our relationship with God. See, sometimes we walk around haphazardly. We're trying to not be exposed, so we shy away from doing the things that we should do because we're not so sure exactly what it looks like. Or maybe there's things that we are doing, and we, we try and hide those things, and we try and do bits and pieces and work our way around the law so that we can technically be right. And there's so many different things that we do as a result of trying to stay out of this guilty verdict, but we need to understand that. When we're in Christ, we're innocent of all charges. That no one can say anything to me, no principality or powers, no demon, no anything can hinder that relationship. That it is finished. That that's what Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. There's, there's no charge that anyone can hold over me because God cleared it. I, there's no condemnation in Christ. So this allows us to continue to seek him, to understand that this relationship isn't broken, to understand that I have a good relationship with him, that he sees no fault in me. I can now approach God. 
as you don't have to shy away from him. When you're in your worst moments, you don't have to shy away. You don't have to cover yourself up. God loves you, and there's no condemnation, so be free in that. You're under the law of the Spirit. Your faith is in Christ. Trust in that. Believe in that. So Paul is just, he just set us believers free. We know that the law and Satan may condemn us, and they may say all these things about us. They, they may bring all those charges against us, but guess what? Now through the law of the Spirit, we've been found innocent. Innocent of all charges. And now we'll actually go into what that law of the Spirit looks like. So if you go to the next slide. Yes, we're free. Amen. All right, one more. Now we'll see exactly how we became innocent. So verse 3. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of, sin, of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. See, the Bible, Bible puts this out clearly. It says the wages of sin is death. I think you go to the next slide. It should be in Romans 3.23. Yeah. The wages of sin and death is death. In Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This goes back to that idea of Romans 7.13 where he says, We're sold under sin. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So don't. So, and, and here's the other thing about the condemnation. That sometimes we feel like we're alone. And sometimes we think we're the only ones doing this one certain thing. And, oh, man, I done really screwed the pooch this time. I messed up. There's no way I could find myself back. But it's like God's dealt with this so many different times. There's nothing new under the sun. How many times has other people done it? And that's, that's not an encouragement to go do that thing. But, that, but what that's saying is that there's nothing too big for our God. That this was the problem. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. Just amazing, but then, then we see what God's done. See, God alone has done this work. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So all those things that you've ever done, all those sins that you've committed back in the past, all those sins that you may have even committed today on your way to church, don't act like that don't happen. And all the sins that we ever will commit, guess what? Go to the next slide. Jesus said, fine, I'll do it myself. He said, you can't handle it. But guess what? I can. And that's the God that we serve. All right, go to that next slide. See, Jesus was condemned in the flesh. And guess what? He was found guilty on all counts. Not that he was guilty, because he wasn't. He's a spotless Lamb of God, never have sinned once. That's why he was able to take that on, because he was the only one who didn't have a charge against him. This is, there's this fancy word. Well, it's really not even that fancy, but it's called the substitutionary atonement. 
It's where God has taken our place as guilty so that we can be seen as free. See, the amazing part is we know that God alone has done this. I've taken no part in, the, in this redemptive work. So go to that next slide. It should be Matthew 26, verse 41. It says, watch and pray that you may enter in that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You see, this is when Jesus was about to go to the cross. He's praying in the garden, and he brings his three, his three homies in. And he's like, hey, pray. Pray so that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing. You want to do this. I know you want to stay out with me. Peter, I know you want to have my back. I know you want to love me. I know you want to treat your wife well. I know you want to treat your coworkers well. I know you want to do these things. Your spirit is indeed willing. You have the right intent. You have the right attitude. You have the right ideas. But guess what? Your flesh is weak. So practically speaking, yes, yeah, sometimes you're going to get in arguments with those coworkers. And sometimes you're not going to do the thing that you know you should do. See, that's why Jesus came, and he did it himself. Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You go to that next slide now. See, that's, that's the problem. Even if we want to do good, even if we want to do those things, sometimes this flesh, it get tired. It don't feel good. You may go lift and actually, you know, your hamstrings hurt and someone asks you to go get something. You're like, um, nah, I'm good. You got it. Right? You get lazy. We get tired. We get our feelings hurt. All these different things that can keep us, that can hold us back from doing the things that we ought to do. Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that's why Jesus had to become that sin. So if you go to the next slide. Well, see, Jesus was condemned, and in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Excuse me. Okay, you go to that next slide now. Jesus became sin. He was found guilty. They stamped the gavel, I think it's called. He placed that on Jesus. He said, you're going to take on all of these sins, every single one of them, even while they beat you and scourge you and nailed those nails into your hands, your wrists, and into your feet. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How can God forgive such a sinful people? Because he's already condemned such a sinful people in Christ. God paid the ultimate price. And so this is what we see. This is that law of the spirit. That our sin get transferred to Christ so that we can be sinless. So all those things that you've done, that you are doing, that you're ever going to do, they're already put on him. He's already paid the price. You no longer have to feel the guilt and the shame and the condemnation because it doesn't exist. Sometimes we put chains on ourselves that were never meant to be there. And we feel so bad and we drag our head and we walk all sad because of the things that we've done, not realizing that God's paid the price. 
He said that there's a receipt, and that receipt is on the cross. Except it was probably much more rugged than that one. The receipt's already on the cross. You could go to that next slide, but we got to understand that sin's already been condemned in the flesh. And that that righteousness, that righteous requirement of the law, that's fulfilled in us. And that's because we walk according to the Spirit. Now, th that last part of verse 4, it's a little weird. It makes it seem like there's a conditional that you have to be, you know, moving forward and all these different things. So we'll, we'll get into that a little later and see exactly what they mean by this because it, it's explained a little bit later in the text. There's nothing that we could ever do. There's no thing that we could do. There's no thing that we can say. There's no apology that we can give. There's only faith that we can put, and that's in Christ. You see, this truth, Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, living that holy life, our sins being placed on him, this is the foundational truth of this Christian life. See, Paul in Philippians, he's always talking about being thankful and how many things that God's always done for us. This is why. Sorry, there's nothing, no slide up there, so I don't know why I'm pointing. But that's why. Because we, no matter what we've done, no matter what we think about ourselves, we can always point back to that cross. Because why? Paul said there's a receipt on that cross. That we can always point back to it. That we can always prove. We can always prove our non-guilty status because Jesus paid it all. So whether we're having a bad day, whether we're feeling ashamed and we're thinking about covering up, regardless of any of these things, let us think back to those things. Let us dwell on those things. When we're having those rough days, let us think about what Jesus did. That it not just be a truth that we know when we come to church on Sunday. That it not just be something that we sing about when people are singing. But that it be a truth that actually transforms our heart. That actually practically changes our lives. That would be something that we actually walk in. See, sometimes we get it in our heads and we understand it. And if someone asks, we say, Jesus died for my sins. But then if you would look at your life and you would think about the things that you actually feel, think about how condemned you actually feel in your mind, you would realize sometimes there's this belief, but you're not actually leaning on it. This is what I'm trying to convey to you today. You should, believe, you should lean on it. That this should be the thing that you're, this isn't just a crutch. This is your stretcher. This is where you live. This is what you think about. This is, this is what you, you just can't get this out of your head that Jesus died for me. So that when you go and you live your life, you're freed. You're not living in this state where you're afraid to make your next mistake. We need to believe in this truth. We need to think about it constantly. We need to dwell on this. Jesus takes our place, and our sinful flesh is condemned through Jesus. He never sinned, but he was judged for our transgression. And now we're able to be seen as righteous because of that. See, this is a gift from God. That's what the Bible describes it as, a gift. But see, there's a lot of people who just leave that gift unopened. So what does it look like to actually receive this gift? 
That's what we'll see in these next verses. So verse 5, it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so this, this can, it continues to go back to this idea that we're sold under sin, that we're all by nature children of wrath. You see, when we first are born, the automatic condition is our mindset on the things of the flesh. That's the condition that we're born into. There's no change in that. We're always, anytime any human is born, they're sold under sin. That's how we start off. But then we see this, this transition here in verse 5. It says, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. What does that look like? What does it look like to change your mind? Because you have to change your mind. There is no if, ands, or but. You're born under sin. You're by nature a children of wrath. So there has to be a change that takes place. It says, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. What does it look like to set your mind on the things of the Spirit? See, that is how you receive that gift. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Donja, you keep saying set your minds on the things of the Spirit. Tell me how to actually do it. Okay, I got you. The Bible describes that as repent and believe. That wasn't a joke. Repent and believe. That's my little brother, by the way. So that's my little homie. We must confess that we are wrong. We must acknowledge that we're in this sinful state. Because you can never solve a problem without identifying it first, right? So we confess it. We confess that, th that we're wrong and that we're going the complete opposite direction. Because any direction that isn't believing in that Jesus that we talked about, that Jesus who is God, who came in the flesh, lived a perfect life, died an unjust death by the hands of the same people who were expecting him. Well, I mean, he was given to the Romans by the same people who expected him. So, But who was condemned by the own people who were expecting him and sent him off to get scourged and flogged and nailed to a cross to get crucified, the most excruciating punishment out there. We don't confess and we don't turn towards that. See, repent means to do a full 180. That you were walking in one direction and then you completely flip script and walk the other one. You agree with God, you acknowledge who He is, you've acknowledged what He's done, and you set your mind on that. You look at that, that becomes the focal point. If that's what you're walking to, See, the interesting thing about direction is that you can never go where you're not looking. And maybe you'd be a smart aleck, yeah, I'm doing it right now. But, but practically, practically speaking, you can never go where you're not looking. So 
set in your mind on the things of the Spirit practically looks like repenting and believing. God, I change my mind. I change my ways. God, I fully agree with who you are. And I understand that if I'm not believing in the, in the Jesus that's described in this book, that we talked about so much today, if I'm not believing in that, I'm walking in the complete other direction. Because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. That slide's not up there, but that's just something that's just, ooh, that's on my heart. There is no way to God except through him. So if you're not walking through that door, you're walking the completely other direction. We must repent and believe, confess, acknowledge, believe, and actually turn towards that. That it not just be something that's in your head, not just an argument that you understand, but if that be a truth that you walk in, that would be something that you actually do. God, I am sorry. I am turning towards you. And whatever you ask me to do, whatever you call me to do, whatever you told me to do, that's what I'm putting my mind on. That's what my spirit is wanting to do. Because I turn towards you. I believe in you. See, sometimes we want to take apart these ideas. There is no repentance without true belief. You see, there's two different beliefs. There's the head knowledge that we talked about a little bit today. But then there's that belief that causes you to action, that drives you to action. That is what saving faith looks like. You not just believe that thing in your head, but you actually orient yourself towards it. Towards it, that's weird. Towards it. And orienting yourself on Christ and the Spirit, that leads to peace. So go to that next slide. I'll look at Romans 5.1. It says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This, this goes perfectly along with that no condemnation. That we now have peace with the holy God who can't stand in the presence of sin. We now have peace. We now have a relationship. We now have a closeness. And we have so much of a closeness. Oh, let me not get ahead of myself. But that we have this right relationship with him now. So we have peace with God, actually. But actually, in our lives as well, we have peace. Because now we could cast all our burdens on Jesus and say... I know I couldn't carry it, but God, I know you can. So I'm going to place that on him, and it gives us peace. I no longer have to work. I no longer have to sit here and think about the things that I need to do, but I could just sit there and trust and know that God's going to carry it all via Jesus. So if you go to that next slide. See, I'm an L.A. boy by heart at least seven years of my life but anyways Kobe Bean Bryant I spent a lot I spent too much time on YouTube and that kind of inspired me with the waste of my time because boy I waste my time on some YouTube but anyways there's these shorts and Kobe's describing one summer I don't know how old he was he was maybe like eight or ten he said he scored zero points in his summer league zero points that is hard to believe but he said he scored zero points, absolutely nothing. He did no work. And, I, and he, he talked to his dad, and his, his father told him, 
whether you score zero or 100 points, I'm still going to love you. And so Kobe, in his head, he said, that flipped the switch for me. That took the pressure off my back. Now I know he, there was this freedom that he could live. And he said, I don't even have to be good. My dad just loves me. And so he said, cool. Well, now I can just get in the lab. I can just work on my game. And whatever happens, happens. See, there was no pressure. And with us, that's the same thing. That's the same kind of fundamental spiritual truth that happens is that God just loves us. And he takes that burden off of us. He says, you don't need to score because nothing that you do could earn my love because why? I created you. I just love you because you are. I love you because I put my image in you. That's why I love you. The only condition that you need to be loved by God is that you are human. That's it. You don't even need to try to do that. That just happens. We're just automatically loved by God, and so we're free. And now if we put that faith in Christ, it's a whole new level of freedom. Because now we acknowledge that, now we know it, now we apply that to our lives. It wasn't just something that Kobe just knew, like, oh, my dad loves me. It was something that he fully accepted and said, you know what? I'm free now. I've been set free from those chains. I no longer have to think that I need to do good in order for my dad to love me, in order for my dad to say good game, in order for my dad to take me out for ice cream. I don't have to do any of that good stuff. I just know that he loves me. And then it freed him to what? Do those good things. The pressure was taken off of him. He had peace with his father, the same kind of peace that God calls us to. You go to the next slide now. See, when we, orient, when we orientate our lives towards sin, it leads to death, not only physically, but spiritually. See, the flesh and the spirit are opposing. They're opposites. So when he talks about the flesh, it's saying that you're selfish. This is antithetical to God because God is love. And that's why sin leads us to death because we're so focused on ourselves and we make ourselves little gods that, hey, I can do this work. I, by my own works, can have the righteousness, can amount to the righteousness that reaches the level of God. That's what you're saying, if that's what you're believing. Or maybe you don't believe there's a God, there's not a God. I don't know, whatever it is. But if your faith isn't in Jesus, essentially you're saying, I can get there on my own. And it's selfish. And it's antithetical to God. Because God is love. And we cannot please God if there's no genuine faith. Or reliance on God. So let's look at Hebrews 11.6. Next slide. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. And he rewards those who seek him. See, there is no reconciliation with God without Jesus taking our place. Without putting that faith in him, there's no way to please God because there's no amount of works that we could do to get there. That there's no standard of living that I could actually do in order to get to that place where I'm able to stand before God because I've done enough. 
That that's not a thing. That doesn't exist. That's why it's absolutely necessary to put your faith in Christ. There is no other way. But that leads us to peace. Because now I don't have to. Now I don't have to worry about doing this or praying so many times or giving so many good deeds or giving so much to a church. I don't have to worry about that because God paid all of the price in full. So we've looked at how we can obtain this gift. See that there's this gift. We see this law of the spirit. We accept it through faith. And that looks like repenting and believing. Having Jesus be that focal point. Look to Jesus. Set your mind on him and follow him. And on the tail end of that, there's this amazing thing that happens. The moment that we fully put our trust in him. So we see the result of looking at Jesus. Verse 9. It says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. And so now we see the condition. Before in verse 4, it kind of looks like it's opposing, but this is really what it's getting to. Because in verse 4, it talked about having to, like walking in that spirit. But here we see there's a simple condition says, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, when you put faith in Jesus, there's an immediate response. God puts his Spirit in you. It doesn't matter what you're doing or what you've done. If his Spirit is in you, then you are saved. You are safe. There is no condemnation. Let's look at Ephesians. So go to the next slide, please. Ephesians 1, verse 13 and 14 says, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, who is the guarantee, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And he is the guarantee, guys. And when we put that faith in him and his spirit is in us, we no longer have to doubt. We no longer have to worry. We can look at Romans 8 verses 1 where it says there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We can put our full reliance on that. And whatever's in our minds telling us otherwise, we can shut it down. We can immediately put the kibosh on it. You're done. You have no room in my mind. There's no condemnation. He's the guarantee of our inheritance. That's amazing. That God, God not only does the work, but then he, he seals the work. He puts his seal on it and says, this cannot be broken. 
So when he talked about those in Christ, that's what it looked like. The spirit being in you. That faith that we talk about, that repentance that we talk about, that turning that we talked about, that set in your mind, what that, that we talked about. That's all kind of in that same realm of receiving the spirit. And at that moment, we are safe. There is no condemnation. That's it. It's been talking about the same thing throughout the whole passage. That no condemnation in Christ is the same as the spirit being in you. See, we have a promise of eternal life because our life is hidden in Christ. We have his righteousness. So even though the text talks about, says in verse 10, but if Christ is in you, right, if the spirit is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, right, so the body's still going to die. We're still going to age. We're still going to do sinful things in this life, right? We're still going to get tired. We're still going to get emotional. All those things remain the same. There's this amazing reality that the spirit of God is set inside of us. So, yes, the body will die. But he talks about this eternal life that we'll inherit. See, at that point, that's when that sin nature will be ripped away from us. And God will wipe every tear from our eye, and he will comfort us. And we will be in his presence. Why? Because Jesus attained that. That Jesus took that condemnation so that I can be in a right relationship with God, so I can be with him forever. So this body's going to go, but me, myself, I will live See, this is what Jesus was talking about when he said we must be born again. So if we go to that next two slides, I think now. One more. John 3, verse 6. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That's what it looks like for the Holy Spirit to come in your life, that you become a new creation at that moment. Like we read in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. That we are a new creation, that this new life has now been created. So now we live in the spirit. Guys, let's continue to look at that. Let's continue to look at, look at Christ. Let's continue to just follow that spirit that's within us. Because Jesus was raised from the dead. The Bible says we should follow him. In verse 11. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That being born again, that we can hopefully look, we can hopefully wait for. That next life. That we know that we're safe. That we know that there's no condemnation. Says Jesus was the first fruit, and then we follow after him. That we too will rise again. So, guys, we have hope in Christ. And don't let anybody take that away from you. If God's Spirit is dwelling within you, if you've put your face of Him, if you oriented your life upon looking at Him, Guys, no one can take that away from us. That that is a promise. We have been promised eternal life through Jesus. Why? Because we've put our faith in him.
So no matter where you're at, no matter what you've done, regardless of how bad you think you are, or even how bad you know you are, have confidence in our great God that he is able to save. That there's a promise for you. That you no longer have to walk in that fear. That you no longer have to continue to cover yourself. That you could be fully exposed. That you could come to God's throne boldly. That God sees you as righteous. That you're covered by the blood of Jesus. That Jesus has already been condemned for that. So that condemnation... It's already off of you. Be encouraged. Be, in, be full of joy because we know that we have life with him. And we've been promised this life through our faith in Jesus. And he even gives us an assurance by sending the Holy Spirit inside of us so that we may know. So guys, we're innocent of all charges. That that is the first thing that Paul wanted you to know. Coming out of this conflict that we had. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This idea that I know what the law is, but I cannot do it. I know what I should do, but I have troubles doing it. The first thing he wants to do is put your mind at ease. Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But how can this happen? How can this be? Well, Jesus was found guilty on all counts. See, Jesus took our place. He substituted himself for us, the spotless lamb of God. God from eternity's past, come down, dwells with us in flesh, lives a perfect life. And then he gets beaten, bruised, nailed to a cross. All that guilt that we had, all the sins that we committed have been placed on him. Why? Because he wasn't guilty. So God had to judge sin. It says he was both just and the justifier. So he was just in a way that he still punished sin. He's a God that cannot dwell with sin. That's how holy he is. That's how set apart he is. He cannot dwell with sin. So he has to clear us up. He has to, he has to judge something. So what happens? The wrath of God gets put on Jesus on the cross. And he's found guilty for my bad deeds. So I'm innocent because Jesus was found guilty. Now this is true regardless of if you believe it or not. But I encourage you to believe it. Where are we looking? Are we looking toward Jesus? Are, is our faith, are our eyes oriented toward Jesus? Looking at him on that cross and realizing the debt that he paid. Understanding what he's done for us. But not just a, knowing that in my head, but turning towards him. Looking at him. Acknowledging, confessing that sin that I've done. Recognizing that he took that on. Recognizing that he became that sin. So that we could live that life in the spirit. What are we going to do with that? What are we going to do with that gift? Are we going to open it? Are we going to apply that to our lives? Where are we looking? And the result of that looking is kind of circular reason, reasoning. 
that the Spirit is in us. The Spirit now dwells in us bodily. Now we become a new creation, that we have this new life, that God sees us as a new creation, that we're set apart from that sinful flesh, that that's all wrapped up in Jesus, and now I have his righteousness. Now I'm clean, I'm white as snow, I'm covered by the blood. So now I can have peace with God. I no longer have to work. I no longer have to think about the things I've done. I no longer have to think about the things that I didn't do, the things that I should do. But I can look to Jesus, and I can have peace with God. And I can then allow that peace into my heart. And as a result of that, I can live in the Spirit. I am free now to follow the things that I ought to follow. And when I do fall back, I don't have to feel like I'm exposed and I have to shrink up from God, but I can continue to walk knowing that I am not condemned. Um, I think Pastor Jeff and Anna are going to hurt. Pastor Jeff and Anna are going to come up and pray as, as I pray and I'll close out. But just let you guys know, if you're in a place where you feel condemned, where you think that the things that you're doing and the life that you're living isn't acceptable to God, well, you're not wrong. That's not. But guess what? God died for it. And he still loves you. And he's still done all the work, thank you, I, I should have called y'all up too. But he's already done all the work that's needed to be done. Live in that. Please live in that. Understand how good your God is. And understand that it's a promise. That it's not an if, and, or but, that it is happen. That the spirit is in you, you put your faith in him, you are a new creation, you are not found guilty. You could live in that freedom. So, Father, I thank you for. I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you that you're even greater than our heart. That sometimes we can think that we're not good enough for you. Sometimes our hearts are so low. Sometimes the cares of this world they come around, and we think we need to do things and. We have responsibilities and so many things are running through our minds, but God, help us be at peace. For you've called us to peace through your son, Father. Help us not just know that Jesus died for our sins, but help us continuously look towards him. Help us orient ourselves towards him, Father. So that we could live in that freedom. So that we could break those chains that have been placed on us, Father. Thank you, God, for your son's life, for his death, and for his resurrection, that we may have hope that we will live with him again, that we could come to you, Father, that we're at peace. We love you, Lord. We thank you and help us enjoy this time of worship. In Jesus' name, amen.